Chapter Twenty Six of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six: A Leap in the Dark. Jim Conrad returned late to his home in Clarges Street. His long day's work was done. He had taken leave of his friends. He had made every arrangement for them, and he was to see them no more. They were all agreed that he must not see them off by the train for Southampton, and that they were to go their way alone. Clelia, he knew, would not write to him, at least for a long time. It could hardly be said that the sacrifice was consummated, for in his case there was no sacrifice to consummate. Clelia was a married woman and a pure woman, and there was nothing for him to sacrifice. He had nothing to give up which could have been his, which he could have held. But he felt like one who had lost all that makes life dear. He looked mournfully, pathetically, and yet with a certain grim sense of the ludicrous, at the fitting up of the rooms in which he had taken so much pride and pleasure, while yet it was not all certain, not all quite certain, that his hopes and his love must be blighted. He sat down and smoked a cigar, and glanced at the books and the pictures, the etchings and the colour sketches, which had once been a delight to him to arrange in their places. The one desire, the immemorial desire, of the young man whose love is made hopeless, was borne in strongly on him. He had now no thought but for the consolation of going away, of travelling far and wide, of drenching and drowning his grief in years of wandering. Some lines of a great and now all but forgotten poet came into his mind, lines that he had not seen or thought of since he was a romantic boy, and he felt their force with a thrilling intensity. I care not to what land ye bear, so not again to mine. Now is the time for Whaley and Patagonia, he muttered to himself. Now let Whaley arrange for me what plans he will in Patagonia. Patagonia is not by any means too far away for me. I should like to go to the land east of the sun, west of the moon and he thus came in his poetic rhapsody to a more modern poet than the author of Child Harold. It was late, well nigh on to midnight. He was roused by a sharp and reiterated ring at the electric bell in the hall door. He felt sure that the servants were all in bed, and, as it so happened, he was now the only lodger in the house. He ran quietly downstairs and opened the door at which, even as he stood there, another pressure sent the bell tingling once again through the house, and he could hear a voice outside which seemed to be speaking in remonstrance against the hastily repeated summons. Jim undid the bolts and the chain, opened the door, and saw in the soft moonlight three men standing on the pavement. The whole purpose was made clear to him when he heard the voice of Sir Francis Rose. "'I have come to know what you have done with my wife,' Rose said fiercely. Even in that note the voice sounded strangely musical. 
Conrad's courage and composure came back to him in a moment. He was not much surprised, after all. Something like this was to be expected. The wonder was that he had not expected it. "'If you will come in and come upstairs, Sir Francis Rose,' he said very quietly, "'I shall be quite ready to give you any explanation that it is in my power to give.' "'All right, all right,' the cheery voice of Whaley came in. "'That is just what we want to have. Come in, Chief. We mustn't make a row. This sort of thing is best talked of quietly and indoors.' "'Quite right, quite right.' sounded the deep funereal notes of the solid coffin the three came in and conrad closed the door they mounted the stairs in absolute silence and conrad showed them into his room it is a little late he said and the house is quiet there are only women servants and they are all in bed and i don't want any noise made but i am quite willing sir francis rose to talk to you on any subject you wish to mention you've got to coffin grumbled in shut up coffin waley urged in a low tone where is my wife rose demanded striding quite closely up to conrad and looking him fiercely in the face easy now easy said the peacemaking waley your wife is a lady for whom i have the deepest respect jim answered calmly respect confound your respect where is she that's the question coffin said shut up coffin waley again interposed she isn't your wife anyhow i cannot tell you where your wife is jim replied i know she is determined not to trust herself again to you you seem to know too much about her there are things one can't help knowing you helped her to get away from me i did and another friend much closer and dearer to her a woman i know i thought so you hear waley you hear coffin waley merely nodded coffin groaned yes i hear regular conspiracy nothing else shut up coffin waley broke in will you fight me like a man rose demanded of jim we don't fight duels in england nowadays jim answered then you are a coward i don't suppose i am any braver than other men but i shouldn't be a coward if i wanted to kill you i don't we don't fight duels in england nowadays rose said scoffingly you have been out of england haven't you in countries where men do fight duels i have jim answered gravely a thought had come up in his mind and he was trying to turn it over will you come to calais or boulogne or ostend jim had had his thought out yes he said whenever you like to-morrow come that's all right nothing can be fairer the considerate waley remarked anxious to bring the whole business to any sort of compromise or close if only for the night but how about lady rose in the meantime croaked coffin 
"'Confound you!' Waley muttered. Rose caught at the hint. "'Yes, what about my wife?' he demanded. "'You are right, Coffin. What about her? I see now the meaning of your sudden burst of courage. I should be away at Boulogne or Ostend while your pals were enabling my wife to get away from me. That's your dodge.' "'You have given the invitation. I accept it,' Jim said coldly. "'And a very fair thing,' Waley declared. Then Rose found himself in a dilemma. He saw no way out of it for the moment but to lose his temper and throw the rest on fate. For the moment, too, he forgot the precise nature of his bargain with Coffin— or he saw no likelihood that Jim would give him a chance of having it carried out according to the conditions. "'You are a coward!' he exclaimed. "'And I couldn't fight with you. I am a gentleman and not a sentimental trickster. But I can chastise you, thank heaven!' He had a light cane in his hand, and he rushed on Jim and struck him across the face and shoulders. Jim gripped him with all his strength, and twisted the cane from his hands and flung it across the room. Whaley tried in vain to part the struggling men. Rose was tearing like a madman. Jim was perfectly composed, and was only striving to ward off the attack. At last, when he had had too much of the struggle, he gripped his arms round Rose's waist, lifted him fairly off his feet, and threw him across the room. Rose was dashed against the opposite wall and brought to a stand there, and there he fell, and there he lay. "'Easy now,' Whaley said, putting a restraining hand on Jim's chest. "'You're not to blame, but let him alone.' "'I didn't want to touch him, Whaley,' Jim replied angrily. Then Coffin found himself confronted with the most serious dilemma of his recent career. He had based all his calculations on the understanding that Rose would provoke Conrad to make an attack on him. The moment this was done, Coffin would plunge forward to save the life of his patron. Conrad was a younger and much stronger man than Rose, and it was not to be supposed that he, Coffin, could exactly know how far Conrad might not carry his murderous purpose. Therefore, to save his friend and patron's life from what he might well believe to be an imminent danger, what could be more natural, more pardonable, and even more praiseworthy, than that he should rush in between and make that life certain at any cost? "'I shall get something for it,' he had always reasoned to himself. "'But what will it be? Unpremeditated action?' mere defence of my friend six months twelve months that sort of thing and then there is the house in the rue de la paix but now behold how things had fallen out there was rose the aggressor rose who had clearly striven his best to harm conrad and there was conrad who had at last merely flung him off like a spatter and was now standing composedly and to all appearance with no desire to harm mortal man alas how easily things go wrong still 
Coffin made up his mind that something must be done for the money. He had no face in the revolver. He had the true assassin's face in the knife. He made up his mind. He drew his knife, he sprang on Conrad, and he screamed out, "'You murderer! You want to kill my friend!' and he brandished the knife on high. But for Coffin's one moment of hesitation, excusable, no doubt, under the suddenly altered conditions, it would probably have been all over with Jim Conrad. For nothing could have been farther from Jim's thought than to suppose that anybody, except perhaps Sir Francis Rose, really wanted to kill him. Therefore he was not standing on his guard, and was not thinking about any manner of personal danger. He was only hoping that he had not done Sir Francis any serious harm in the heavy fall which he could not help giving him. But Coffin's one moment of consideration had been the ruin of Coffin's plan, for it gave Whaley time to be on the watch and to understand the situation. Just as the knife was raised, he seized Coffin by the back of the collar and dragged him away with a strength which Coffin found it hopeless to resist. He flung Coffin on the floor and clutched both of his wrists with a tremendous grip. "'Quick, quick!' he called to Jim. "'Take the knife from him and open the window and call for the police!' Rose was still lying on the floor either stunned by the sharp fall, or not caring to rise until something definite should happen. Whaley was holding Coffin down by main strength. Suddenly an alarmed tapping of various sets of knuckles was heard at the door. "'Tell the servants they have no business here,' Whaley called to Jim. "'Let them send quietly for the police. You and I can hold these two here until they come.' "'No, no, no police,' Jim called out. He was thinking of Clelia's name dragged into an ignoble quarrel. Jim opened the door, and had a confused vision of the landlady and some other women, who had evidently got out of bed just as they were, to adopt a way of expressing it which they would probably have used, and he quietly told them that there was no further danger, and that they might go to bed again. Meanwhile Rose had staggered to his feet. He was pale to ghastliness. He saw that the whole scheme was a failure, and that it was his own hasty action which had made the failure complete. His hate was now turned from Conrad to Coffin. He hated Coffin all the more because he had himself given to Coffin the reason for his moment of delay and decisive action. "'Let him get up, Whaley,' Rose said imperiously. We don't want any police ferreting into all this business. Let him get up, I tell you, and let him go away. Mr. Conrad and I can settle any accounts we have to settle in our own way, without the help of you or of Coffin or of the police. I have no accounts to settle, Jim said contemptuously. If any man attacks me in front, I shall take good care of myself and perhaps he may not be altogether glad of his attempt. I could have done so just now if I had suspected anything. I don't want the police any more than Sir Francis Rose does. "'You had better let me get up,' Coffin called out, struggling with his legs on the floor, and striving with all his might and main to lift Whaley from off his chest. 
He could not manage it, however. "'Let him get up, Whaley,' Jim said. "'Let us have an end of all this one way or another.' "'Have you got the knife?' Whaley asked eagerly. "'Yes, I've got the knife safe enough. Let him get up.' Whaley rose to his feet. "'Get up, you murdering ruffian!' he said, and in rising he gave Coffin a contemptuous touch of his foot. "'I don't want to do anybody any harm,' Coffin murmured with bated breath. "'Thought that chap was going to kill my friend. Lost my temper, that's all.' "'Your friend, you infernal bungling coward!' Rose cried. "'You don't want to do anyone any harm? No, of course you don't. Take that!' And he struck Coffin a violent blow on the face. Coffin saw that the game was up so far as he was concerned. The chance of the house in the Rue de la Paix was utterly gone. He was seized with all the fury of despair. "'Look here, Mr. Conrad and Mr. Whaley,' he exclaimed. "'That man who has hit me, that man engaged me to kill Mr. Conrad. It's a put-up job, I tell you.' let him deny it if he dares rose endeavoured to strike at him again but waley threw his stalwart form between them and held rose off rose mastered himself once again he turned away with a swagger and said you all appear to be such good friends that i don't seem as if i ought to intrude on so charming a comradeship any longer I shall recover my wife in spite of you all. Good night, gentlemen. Then he turned and left the room, and they heard him moving to the stairs. But there was a noise below of heavy footsteps. By Jove, they have sent for the police, Whaley said. They were right, and I'm awfully glad of it. Rose came rushing back into the room. Before any of them could guess what he meant to do, he had thrown up the window. "'I am not going to be caught in your infernal trap!' he cried, and he strode into the balcony, climbed over the railing, and dropped into the street below. Conrad and Whaley ran to the window. Coffin remained where he was, wholly impassive now. A heavy fall was heard, and then a faint, low moaning. Rose had evidently in his passion miscalculated the depth of the descent. No sound of flying feet was heard, only the low moaning, like that of some stunned and wounded animal. "'I'm afraid he has done for himself now,' Whaley said, with a deep note of pity and of grief in his voice. "'I am afraid he has.' Jim echoed, and there was horror in his heart. "'Serve him right,' growled the funereal voice of Coffin. "'Why did he break his bargain?' Then the police came in, and there were a few rapid words of explanation, and Jim and Whaley went down to the street with the officers. Sir Francis Rose was lying with his head and one arm terribly fractured. He had evidently cannoned against something in his fall, and come head downwards onto the pavement. 
End of chapter 26